Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. Well, we have a wonderful guest who I'll tell you about in just a minute, but this is a wonderful week, and we want to thank all of our listeners for listening to KUCI. This is the week of our annual fun drive, and this station only has one a year. And we pledge our commitment to bring all of you listeners great public affairs shows like ours and terrific music 24-7. So please, pledge, pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue this show, Privacy Piracy, and all of our great shows. Call right now, 824-5824. That's U-C-I-K-U-C-I. You'll even receive a gift back from us at KUCI. So make your donation right now by calling UCI KUCI. And please remember when you call to mention you are pledging for privacy piracy. And tonight we have a fabulous guest who we've actually had before. And that guest is Robert Brennan. Let me tell you some background information about him, but you can also see it on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Attorney Robert Brennan grew up steeped in a great legal tradition. His uncle was the former U.S. Supreme Court Justice William J. Brennan Jr., who's passed on. And his father, Frank Brennan, was chief in-house counsel for several major U.S. corporations during his long career. So Bob Brennan started his legal career in civil litigation back in 1988 And then he opened his own practice, the Law Offices of Robert F. Brennan, back in 1991. And you can find out more about his great practice at Brennan Law, that's B-R-E-N-N-A-N-L-A-W dot com. The firm specialized in litigating cases related to violation of consumer protection laws, unfair and abusive debt collections, lemon law, automotive dealer fraud, wrongful credit damage, personal injury, and consumer protection class actions. Bob is wonderful. I've known him for several years. He's been on our show before, and he is an experienced and aggressive trial lawyer with an excellent record. His litigation experience includes medical malpractice, consumer fraud, including lemon law, personal injury, and business litigation. And he's a nationally recognized speaker as well on consumer protection, consumer fraud issues. And he's published a number of great articles on those litigation issues. And most recently, he is the co-author of a book that I have sitting right in front of me. I just finished reading it. It's called Debt Collection Answers, How to Use Debt Collection Laws to Protect your rights. This is a terrific book, and we're going to be talking about it. And so you can see more about it in order, if you're interested, at Brennan 
law.com. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-N-L-A-W.com. And also www.SoCalCreditDamage.com. Thank you, Robert, for joining us again. Maury, thank you so much for having me as a guest. Well, you're a terrific expert on the Fair Credit Reporting Act and the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Tell us a little bit about the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and and who is subject to it. There's two Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that California consumers and KUCI listeners need to know about. Uh, the federal act uh, only regulates debt collectors and, and uh, traditional debt collectors, and those are people who are collecting the debts of someone else. So let's say you've got a debt uh, with Nordstrom's or something like that. If Nordstrom's is uh, collecting its own debt, they are not subject to the federal law, but they would be subject to the California Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, also known as the Rosenthal Act. So there's a federal act which only covers traditional debt collectors. The California Act not only covers traditional debt collectors, it also covers debt collectors who are collecting their own debts, like, for instance, Nordstrom's, a credit card, uh, anyone who's trying to collect a debt out there. Wow. So obviously the one for California, for those of us who live in California listening here, we are really better off with the Rosenthal Act. Isn't that correct? Un- unbelievably better off. Uh, it's, it's really funny. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of the debt collectors do not like to get sued under the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Uh, they do have training. Uh, sometimes the training is insincere, but they do have training under the Federal uh, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. But a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, creditors in California collecting debts from California consumers uh, are not debt collectors. They're they're the original creditors. And they have no such training, and they think that they're allowed to basically do whatever they want to try to collect a debt. And it creates many seriously abusive situations. Yes. You know, I also have um, a, a client who got a call today, and it was from a debt collector for her grandson. And when they called, they were harassing her. And then at the very end of the call, they said, well, did you know this is being taped? Which was illegal. I told her it's illegal. You cannot tape without having permission of both parties in the state of California, right? Well, uh, that that you, you open up. Uh, I hate to say, it, you open up a can of worms. Uh, <laughs> if if uh, uh, and this is this is something I have to tell to your consumers. Uh, the whole uh, on one of my websites, which is called SoCal Debt Collection Abuse, I do discuss. Uh, I do discuss whether or not you can tape. Uh, and, and basically, you are right. California is a two-party consent state, meaning that both parties have to know about the taping going on, but there are exceptions when there is a crime or fraud occurring. Now, so if you have a debt collector calling you uh, and the person is violating the law, um, and including the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, you are allowed to tape record that conversation unless... Uh, unless they're calling from Maryland and a couple other states. There's a couple states where basically it says you cannot tape under any circumstances. So you have to know where your debt collector... I know that this gets more complicated, and you probably were not anticipating this (laughs) complicated of an answer, but, uh, you know, the consumer has to know where they're calling from. They have to find out if that... If they're one of the you know half dozen or so states that that seriously forbids any tape recording of calls, but if it's a California call, if it's coming from a California creditor, and they are violating the law, they are lying to you, they are calling too frequently, they are misrepresenting themselves as as police officers, uh, they are saying that you're going to go to jail if you don't pay your debt. Uh, they're threatening, and, and believe me, I've heard it all. They're threatening to take your kids away if, you're, if, you, if you don't pay your debt. I mean, that type of thing. Then, yes, you have a right to tape record that conversation, and, and it obviously becomes very important evidence uh, in any future case. So it, it's, it's not, unfortunately, the whole tape recording conversations thing. It's not a, an easily answered question. Right, right. But I think what's important is if... You are in California. Both parties have to consent. But if they call you and they say this is being taped, then you know that that, that they already are consenting, and then you can tape it as well, right? Oh, absolutely. If they're, if they're tape recording you, that, then that's consent. Right. Then you, then you should tape record them. Right, there, exactly. You, yeah, no, no question about that. Right. So let's talk about what's happening with debt collection practices. Our economy is really in trouble. How has the economy affected debt collection practices? Well, there's more and more, and, and this is something I've been saying to my friends for some time. I mean, America, uh, as, if you look around, America doesn't make a whole lot like it used to. 
It doesn't make cars. It doesn't make uh, you know. It doesn't make toaster ovens. It doesn't make uh, it doesn't make it, it makes less farm produce than it used to. So what is America making? What America make is making right now. What it is producing is is just tons and tons and tons of debt. And then the debt gets repackaged and sold. You know, it becomes the basis of a you know of a Wall Street offering, and then it then it becomes the basis of an international offering, and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day. Uh, if you think about when you're buying a General Motors stock, uh, and I shouldn't use General Motors because just today they were talking about bankruptcy, but l- right. let's say let's say you're buying, um, you know, a, a Westinghouse, uh, a stock in Westinghouse. All right, you're you're buying uh, in the belief that Westinghouse is going to be able to sell the refrigerators or the toaster ovens. All right, when when investors are buying a share or an interest in a pool of debt. What they are buying is the belief that someone out there is going to be able to collect upon or redeem those debts. Uh, let's say the bundle of debts is, you know, the face value of the debts is worth $100 million. Uh, the investors pay only $10 million for it. What the investors are betting on is that some debt collectors out there are going to be able to collect 25 or 30 or $40 million on that bundle of debt. So really, the whole paradigm shift of the economy has basically empowered the debt collector. The debt collector is, in this day and age, effectively the person on the ground, the person at the street level, who is making that security, that investment, into a good security or a good investment. They, they really do, in this day and age, have the same role as the salesman who was selling encyclopedias or refrigerators or dishwashers or hair dryers 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, so the answer is, in the current economy, and this, this isn't something that just is a result of the economic downturn. This has been something which has actually been developing for several years. And but that, it, it, yeah. it's, been, it's, been, um, it's been aggravated by the current economy. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, the current economy, uh, debt collectors and investors, you know, remember, this is all investor-driven. Investors are more and more uh, desperate, basically, to have their debts collected upon because that's what makes the securities valuable. That's what makes these investments have value. And and if the investors are not happy with debt collector A, they're going to go over and choose debt collector B. And the reason they're going to choose debt collector B more often than not is because debt collector B is a thoroughly ruthless debt collector. Yes. Now, you know, you, you, you say, well, people like to obey the law, and, and that is true. But I, I think the the lesson of Wall Street over the last uh, over the last few years is that if people can make a whole lot of money not obeying the law, they will do so, and and that those those same forces are are basically driving the the, the debt collection world right now. Right, and now more people are in debt, more people are losing their jobs, and so their their credit cards are, you know, they they're depending on credit cards and then their debt is increasing. And so the whole thing just gets worse. And then, you know, we're also noticing people are calling me and they're saying, you know, I'm getting these debt collectors and they're calling for me from outside the country. And we're seeing that there's a lot of outsourcing of this as well, right? Oh, absolutely. It's so much cheaper. Uh, you know, uh, the whole outsourcing thing that happened during the first part of this decade, I mean, it's, it's definitely expanded into the debt collection world. Uh, do not be surprised. I mean, if you really were to trace down a telephone call from a debt collector, I mean, sometimes, yes, sometimes they're in Buffalo, New York, sometimes they're in Maryland, but quite often they're calling you from Pakistan, they're calling you from someplace in India, they're calling you from, you know, Brazil or Argentina. This, uh, with, with basically cheap overseas high-speed uh, phone access all around the world, I mean, you, you yes. have permitted many industries to outsource a whole lot of things, including debt collection. Right. Uh, it It is just gotten so bad. And that's probably why you ended up writing your book, uh, Debt Collection Answers, Mm -hmm. How to Use Debt Collection Laws to Protect Your Rights. And that's what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. So, so Robert, I'm going to call you Bob. Bob, what is the first thing not to do if you're, if you're, contacted by a debt collector well the first thing the first thing not to do is to do what they're asking you to do (laughs) (laughs) i I mean i mean the the first let me just tell you that you know i I have a lot of consumers coming into my office and i do uh i I have recreated what i might call the debt collector approach uh that 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 gets used when debt collectors are calling someone the very first thing that debt collectors will do is try to get you to make a payment right away over the phone uh, promising you something, you know, we, you know, your debt. Uh, even let, the debt may have been originally for only five hundred dollars. 
once a debt collector gets a hold of it and they put on a bunch of bogus charges and fees, I mean, they may have it up to $2,000 or something like that. But they will tell you that, you know, you have a debt for $2,000. We are prepared to, to seek legal recourse, and that's often a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, I mean, if you pay us right now, we will discount your debt to $700 or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is what they really want, I, I mean, debt collector heaven is for all the consumers to just pull out their credit cards right on the spot and, and pay. I mean, that is, that is literally the pearly gates, the, the, the Valhalla of debt, collector, of debt collector heaven. I mean, that's what they want. That is the last thing to do. All right, um, that, so do not do whatever they're asking you to do, but I'm telling you, um, nine times out of ten, what they're asking you to do is um, basically pull out your credit card and pay on the spot. So the what other, should you do first? Well, the, the other thing, uh, l- let me just finish. Uh, you know, the other thing okay. they may be asking is to confirm, you know, who you are, you know, and they'll, they'll kind of try to sound like they're police officers or they're, they're thugs from, you know, Tony Soprano's gang. <laughs> you know, we, we want to verify that you are, you know, uh, and, and you live, at, you know, they, they give that whole routine. Right. Um, what you need to do is this, and i got to tell you something. Uh, consumers who try to do everything on the phone or try to send emails, Unfortunately, in, in debt collector world, it does not work. What you need to do is you need to say, all right, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Debt Collector, what is your name? What is your debt collection agency? Um, and what is your address? You need to find out the information and, and also what is your fax number. You need to say, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. And don't, don't say anything. I wouldn't commit to anything. Uh, just, you know, thank them very, you know, you may be being taped. So if you threaten to kill them or threaten to boil their babies or something like that, I mean, I mean that's that's going to be on that's going to be on a tape in the future, and you don't want that because right. maybe it's not your debt or something like that. I mean, and in this day and age, uh, you uh, above anyone in California know that if uh, someone is basically given something which which could be construed as a terrorist threat over the phone, uh, that person can, can have the FBI brought in on them. That person can you know suddenly be you know, monitored by, by Dick Cheney or one of his, uh, one of his friends. Um, I, I, so, I mean, you, you do in this day and age have to be careful about what you say on the phone, even when you're mad. Don't blow up. Right. Whatever you do, get the information, get the name, address, and fax number, and then you have to go back and you have to look at um, my websites, uh, including SoCal Debt Collection Abuse or other websites. But basically what you do is you, within five days of the first contact, um, well, they're supposed to send you a letter. Uh, the debt collector is supposed to send you a letter. After you get that letter, you have 30 days to mail a certified letter to the debt collector. And even though the, the, the law says does not say certified, you should always send it certified because it shows that the debt collector received it. It shows the date that they received it. And what you say, and you also fax the letter, and what you basically say in that letter is, you know, my name is, you know, blah, blah, and um, I'm, you know, writing to you, uh, in response to a telephone call from Joe Jones or, or in response to a letter I received from your company, I want a full verification of this debt. And, but, and see, the thing is, is, what you have to understand is that the law requires the debt collector to verify the debt. The law requires that. But debt collectors have read their own definition of verification. What debt collectors want verification to mean is that all the debt collector has to do is print out the single-page computer screen that they receive from the original creditor and say, look, here, you know, Nordstrom's or Macy's or May Company or Exxon or whatever it is, you know, uh, sent us an email and it said that you owe this debt. No, that's not what you want. What you want is you want the, you know, and you have to specify this in your letter. I want the original contract that I signed showing that I obligated myself for this debt. I want the full payment history from the original creditor. Uh, showing that you know I, I paid you know showing that I obligated myself for this amount of debt. I want the contract because I you know you're, here you are charging me penalties and interest and fees and attorney's fees. I want to know where in the contract I obligated myself for all those things. I want all other backup documentation that you can get from the original creditor about this debt, and I want it sent to me in writing. And then you send that off, and you're being very clear about what you want. I got to tell you something. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to get it, but a lot of times, if you send that letter by itself and nothing else, 
you're going to scare, scare the debt collector off and basically into leaving you alone. Or if later on you have to bring a, an action under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, you've got a really good piece of evidence that, that at the very, very beginning of the relationship with the debt collector, you were professional and all you wanted was the correct and accurate information and backup documentation about your debt, and the debt collector refused to give it to you. So that, that's what you need to do. And that's really important because what if the debt really was 20 years old? Oh, that, that, <laughs> that happens all the time, and, and, it, and it segues into another issue um, about credit reporting. And I do want to mention, I cannot tell you recently how many uh, consumers, how many, how many clients we have in our office where the debt started out with a company that hasn't existed for 10 years. I, I, mean, I mean, I have all kinds of people now who... You know, they, they get a call from a debt collector, and then they start tracing it back, and it turns out that the debt collector is collecting on debt from the May Company. Now, the May Company, you know, you're Southern California. Right, uh, May out Compa- of business, yeah. yeah. May Company hasn't existed as a standalone company for uh, – when, when did it – it got absorbed by Macy's, I think, yes. in about 1996 or 1997. Yes. I mean, a, a good long time ago, and, and, and there's still – but there's, there's some bundle of debt out there that was sold to some investor, probably for pennies on the dollar – and and that investor has decided to try to debt collect on it. Now that brings up an important point that, and I'm sorry, Mari. Oh, that's I, okay. We can skip around because I think you have to go with what the flow. Go yeah, ahead. Okay. Um, the California consumers need to know that the statute of limitations for suing on a debt in California is four years. Four years from breach of a written contract. Breach usually occurs when the credit card goes into default. So let's say you make your you make your September of 2001 payment on your credit card, but you do not make your October of 2001 payment, and they send you a little reminder saying that you're supposed to be making your October 2001 payment, by no- and you don't make your November of 2001 payment, your date of default on that credit card is, is probably October, possibly November of 2001. There's a, there's a couple cases going back and forth. But basically, it is from the date of default. You make a mistake if you make some little payment along the way and restart the statute of limitations. If your statute of limitations in California, um, if you defaulted on your credit card, let's say in October, November of 2001, then your statute of limitations expires in October to November of 2005, four years later, and, and no one may legally collect on that date thereafter. However, let's say in 2007, you know, you were contacted by a debt collector and you were feeling kind of guilty or something like that. And so you went ahead and made a payment on that credit card. You have just restarted the statute of limitations against yourself. You have basically revived the whole claim uh, against you by making that little payment. So that's one thing that your, your, your listeners need to know. And that is, I, I mean, people, and, and this includes myself, sometimes people have an old debt that's older than the statute of limitations, and I've done this. I mean, so I, I don't fault anyone in doing this, and, and they feel like they owe it, and they feel badly about it. So they go ahead and contact uh, the creditor or whomever, and they make arrangements to pay it off, even though technically uh, no one can sue on that debt anymore. But if there's any dispute about the debt, or if it's being handled abusively by a debt collector, do not make a payment because you are restarting the statute of limitations. Now, uh, that segues into another thing, and that is the credit reporting aspect. Right. That's what I was just going to say, because it can stay on there for seven years. Seven years and six months. Now, now, there there it's calculated slightly differently. It it, um, stays on a delinquent delinquent account stays on your credit report for seven years and six months from the date of first delinquency. So going back to the September-October 2001 um, example, Let's say your payment was due on uh, October 20th of 2001, and you did not pay on October 21st of 2001. Under the the Federal um, Fair Trade Commission guidelines, your seven years and six months begins on October 21st of 2001. So for seven years and six months, uh, the 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 creditor and the credit bureaus can report that on your uh, on your uh, your credit bureau uh, reports, your Experian report your transunion report, and so forth. However, what we're seeing is a lot of debt collectors who get this whole debt, uh, they, they do something called re-aging, and we are seeing it all the time, and it is a violation of the law. No one is allowed, a debt collector, whomever, they are not allowed to, to falsely uh, report any of the information on a debt. Uh, they're not allowed to on any debt that they're reporting to your, your credit report. So if it uh, went delinquent, if, it was, uh, if the first delinquency was October of 2001, 
uh, and then let's say the uh, the debt collector buys it in September of 2005. The the debt collector is not allowed to restart the clock and say, oh, um, you know, we're going to report it uh, delinquent effectively October 2005, thereby you know restarting the clock for seven years and six months. That is illegal. That is false credit reporting. Uh, and that is a violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So that's something that we're handling a fair number of cases in that area. So so let's say, let me just clarify this for my my audience. So if they, let's say, had a problem with Macy's and, and it was uh, four years, all right, and at the end of four, before four years, the Macy's sold it to a debt collector. Mm-hmm. So Macy's default will show up on your credit report and the debt collector will show up on your credit report? Well, that, that's that's a whole different issue. That's double reporting. Right. And, can and, that happen? And I've seen it. Oh, yeah. Well, it can happen. The answer is yes. Uh, and and we have seen it, too. <clears throat> the, um, the industry is supposed to police itself uh, on this issue. There is a code section of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. It is uh, 1681, uh, for those of you who are writing down code sections, and they can also go to my uh, my blog, uh, which is right off of SoCal Credit Damage, which discusses a lot of these issues. But it's 1681I, as in, as in uh, Isaac, uh, subdivision A, subdivision 5, and it talks about reinserting, uh, reinserting credit material. And, and there's, other, you know, there's other provisions uh, in 1681I, which talk about a credit report has to have maximum possible accuracy. Um, basically, basically, if a bureau such as Experian or if a creditor, and let's say it's Macy's and Joe Jones debt collector, if they are double reporting a debt, that is not maximum possible accuracy. However, remember that one thing, one thing to know about the Fair Credit Reporting Act in the area of credit reporting, and that is uh, the law gives the furnishers of credit information and also the credit bureaus, quote-unquote, one bite at the apple. In short, they're allowed, they're allowed to make a mistake once. If they make a mistake, and if you go onto your credit report and you see that uh, Macy's is reporting your debt as delinquent, and then Joe Jones' credit uh, debt collector is, is reporting the exact same debt as delinquent, what you need to do is you need to send a certified letter, and you need to send it to the credit bureaus, any credit bureau that's, that it's reporting on, and you also need to send it to Joe Jones' uh, debt collector, and you also need to send it to Macy's. And you need to say, uh, this is double reporting on my account. That is an inaccurate representation. It's showing two debts where there should be only one debt reported, and I want you to remove that from my credit report. And if they remove it within 30 days, they have not violated the law. However, it's, it's when they continue to report it as a double reporting after you have notified them, then you violate the federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So that's, that's something for – under, under debt collection – you do not necessarily need to write to the credit bureaus or to the debt collectors to have rights under the under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. But for credit reporting, you need to write to the bureaus. You need to write to the bureaus and say what the problem is and give the bureaus and the people who are giving them the information the opportunity to straighten it out before you get rights under the Federal Fair Credit Reporting Act. And and you can ask the credit bureaus to delete that one of those as well. Correct. Yeah. And I just wanted to follow up on another thing that was that I want to clarify. So let's say you had a Macy's card that was in default and then the debt collector gets it and Macy's takes it off your credit report because now it's with the debt collector. Right. If it's been four years, they can only keep it on three more years, right? They can't start it like you were talking about, restart it and say, okay, now this can be on seven years. They can only finish off the uh, the seven years, six months that um, began with Macy's. Am I correct? That is correct. Okay. So this is really crazy, and, and it's wonderful. You're so filled with great knowledge. We are speaking with a wonderful attorney, Bob Brennan, who has the law offices of Bob Brennan. You can learn lots more about him at Brennan Law. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-N law.com. He also has SoCal creditdamage.com and he's the author of a new book that I have sitting right in front of me that has wonderful information that everybody should have. It's called Debt Collection Answers, How to Use Debt Collection Laws to Protect Your Rights. And before I go back to 
Bob, I want to make sure that I thank all of our listeners for being such wonderful audiences. And thank you for listening to KUCI. This week is our annual pledge drive. We pledge our commitment to you to bring great public affairs shows, wonderful guests like Bob Brennan, who can really change your life and help you. We also have terrific music. We're on 24-7. So please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue Privacy Piracy and all the other great shows. Call right now, 824-5824. That's UCI, KUCI, and it's, by the way, 949-824-5824. And you'll receive a gift back from us, a pledge gift. And make your donation right now by calling. We have DJs ready to answer the phone at UCI, KUCI. That's 949-824-5824. And please tell them that you're pledging for privacy piracy, and we can bring on more guests and bring Bob back again. But let's get back to Bob right now. Thanks, Bob, for your patience with me. Oh, no problem. So, Bob, what are our rights if we believe the debt has already been paid? Well, there are, and believe that happens all the time. And, and I got to tell you, and if I can take a moment yes. and just explain why it happens. Why it happens is that you've got a big bundle of debts. Now, I guess in the old days, they sold it like in bankers' boxes or something like that. Now it's packaged electronically. Uh, but basically, there is a big bundle of information, just tons of information sitting on a computer disk or on a CD, which is which is uh, someone's someone's uh, you know someone's portfolio of debts that they're now going to be selling to a debt collector. Uh, sometimes to go in and actually locate an individual debt that is sitting on that CD or is sitting on that on that hard drive it is time consuming. And the last thing that that a creditor or a debt collector wants to do is spend that kind of time, you know, picking uh, picking people's. Um, you know, debts out of that CD. Now, the other, the other thing is, and this, this brings up a whole, a whole other issue, and that is sometimes in the contract for the debt collection, for instance, the investors, the investors will put money into a company basically to buy debt and start collecting upon it. Uh, the investor uh, contract with the collector or the people who are going to be handling the collection debt is called an indenture. Uh, in the indenture, the investors will insist that the credit reporting not change on the debts, no matter what. So even if the credit reporting is false, the investors do not want the credit reporting to change, and the reason they don't want the credit reporting to change is because the credit reporting is what gives those debts value. I mean, in, in the old days back... Right, you know, it's the incentive for somebody to pay it off to just clean up their credit so they can get their house or get their car. Exactly, exactly, and the investors know that, and the investors know that a certain number of people are going to be shanghaied into paying debts they do not owe or, or paying a lot more on debts than, than they should be paying uh, for what you just mentioned. I mean, people... Um, you know, people just want to get it all, you know, get it, get it behind them so they can get on and buy their car, buy their house or whatever. And they know that. And so, so uh, there, there are actually agreements, uh, you know, right there, uh, which, which basically instruct the debt collectors that they have to violate the law, you know, no matter what. They, they, they're not allowed to change the, uh, the debt collection, um, you know, the, the credit reporting on this particular, uh, on, on a particular debt that's part of a portfolio of debts. So, you know, what you've got here is a situation where you've got huge, undifferentiated masses of debts being basically just, you know, sold from creditors to debt collectors and debt collector number one to debt collector number two and so forth. And the information is not updated. I mean, you're not talking about uh, any group with any, any high degree of diligence when it comes to maintaining the accuracy of the information. So you may pay off your debt with creditor or with debt collector one. And, but the information doesn't get updated. The information gets passed on to debt collector number two, and you will start getting you know, debt collected all over again. This happens, and unfortunately it happens frequently. Um, you know, what I basically have to tell you listeners is you've got to go back to writing letters. I mean, and, and I guess I am, I am uh, exhibit one of a person who has gotten away from writing letters and trying to handle everything in emails or, or you know, whatever, or text messages. Uh, when, when, however... In the whole debt collection arena, it's different. You're not inviting your friends over for a barbecue. This is a war, uh, particularly <laughs> if, you do not, if you do not owe the debt, particularly if you are challenging the debt. Uh, this is a war, and the way to fight this war and the way to create weapons for yourself to fight this war is to get back to the typewriter, get back to the word processor, and write letters and send them certified. And, and just be very specific in the information you're providing them and be very specific in what you're asking for. And what you are doing, and, and you, you, know, you as a practicing lawyer know what I'm talking about. Yes. What you are doing is you are creating exhibits 1 through 10 
at your trial of why this debt collector or why this creditor was over the line and should pay you damages. And, you know, I I have to really emphasize what you're saying for my audience to understand this. And I have had this happen to so many of my own clients, even when we're trying to settle with a company and get something off either the creditor or the credit reporting agency. They will tell you that they never received the letter. Now, luckily, I do what you do, Bob, and that is to tell my clients it must be sent Anything you send them must be sent return receipt requested, and you must keep copies of the return receipt, and you can even scan it into your computer. I have literally dealt with companies who lied and said, we never received those letters. They're not in the file. We don't see anything um, on the electronic file that even refers to a letter. So then I go, listen, give me your email or give me your fax, and I scan in the letters. I scan in the return receipt signed by somebody in their corporation, and I tell them, you're mistaken, here it is, and they have to shut up. And so it's so important what Bob is saying. You have to have that paper trail, not only for litigation, but it may help you settle without even going to litigation. Uh, Well, Mara, you're absolutely right, and i got to tell you, uh, you you bring up a good point. When when debt collectors, I mean, debt collectors don't want to get sued, uh, and when debt collectors feel like they got a leopard by the tail, sometimes they let go. And, and someone who is who is just and, and I know it's a pain in the butt. I mean, we all work too hard. You know, we all come home, we fight the traffic on the way home, and the last thing we want to do is sit there and uh, you know and, and bang out letters to the debt collector when when you know Dancing with the Stars is on or something like that. But I right. mean, I mean, unfortunately, you know, when 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 this starts happening to you, don't feel like you're alone. It's happening to a lot of people. It's not like. You're sitting in your living room, you know, banging out your letter to the debt collector, and all your neighbors are watching Dancing with the Stars. Believe me, all of them are going through the same thing right now, or they're ignoring it and, and, and drinking wine and watching Dancing with the Stars when they should be at the word processors uh, creating the letter to the debt collectors. I mean, it is, it is endemic. It, it's not, you know, it, America is not, you know, where we come home at 6 o'clock every night and we watch, uh, you know, Huntley and Brinkley or Walter Cronkite, and we all relax, and Dad reads his book and smokes his pipe, and you know we like all like the old it, days, right? Yeah, and th- th- those days are gone. That that's just not America anymore. I, I, and uh, you know, I, I mean, we have to, you know, we have to fight. And 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 the thing is, is is it's not that we have to fight twenty four seven. It's not that we have to fight everyone. But uh, the the financial industry uh, basically has set itself up as a huge parasite on our backs. And and unless we unless we get it off. And the way to get it off is to fight, and to fight them at their game, and to beat them at their game. And I got to tell you, the way to beat them at their game is to put put a case together professionally and well, and beat them in court, and make them pay you. And and you know that that that's what my you know that's what my clients do. And and you know they understand. They and and a lot of them, a lot of them come back two three years later. They got the same thing going on, and we go back to court, and we get them more money. And eventually, you know, eventually. You know they they know how to deal with it, and I got to tell you, the next time something comes up with them, uh, you know they know how to they know how to handle themselves in the initial stages when they're contacted by a debt collector or when they're facing a false uh, entry on the credit report, and they can get it off faster and often without the assistance of attorney because it's just it's how they're conducting themselves. They're sending a message to the debt collector or to the credit bureau or to the creditor that you've got a tiger by the tail. If you want to hold on, you're going to go for one heck of a ride. So you go ahead and hold on, and we'll see you in court. And you don't even have to threaten litigation or anything like that, but the fact you're sending certified letters, the fact you're asking very specific questions, the fact that you're, you know, by, you're providing very specific documentation, you're basically sending a message to them. You know, you are already over the line. If you, if you, hey, just keep going and make it worse, and, and, and we'll collect some money from you. And, and, that, and, and, you know, Bob, that's why I really like your book, Debt Collection Answers, How to Use Debt Collection Laws to Protect Your Rights. I think this is really important for people to go to Bob's website, especially if you're going through this problem right now, because I read this book, and not only are there questions and answers that you would have, but there are even sample letters in there that I think you'll find really, really helpful. And if they don't do what they say that they're going to do, then you can call Bob and he'll beat the heck out of him in court. <laughs> but um, I think it's really helpful for you to see that because it, it's great to have knowledge. If you are empowered and you know what to do and you've got, you know, the information that you need from Bob and, and his book is right there, then you're going to feel good about it and you're going to know to make the right decisions. You're not going to mess up and you're not going to, you know, uh, start that statute of limitations all over again. So that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about what 
are the consumer's rights if he is being charged, if he believes he's being charged too much by the debt collector, like they've added on all these extra fees? What can they do about that? Well, that, that's, we, we actually, uh, uh, by the way, Mari, you're describing something that, that is as common as toast uh, or sliced toaster or morning coffee in the debt collection community. I mean, I mean, and again, this is investor-driven. I mean, the investors have paid, you know, $5 million for this face value, $100 million in debt. And I mean, their, their ideal scene is not to collect $100 million. Their ideal scene is actually to collect more than $100 million. So the debt collectors know this. So the debt collectors, you know, basically answering to the investors will inflate and increase the value of the, the face value of the debts to try to collect more. Uh, and, and this happens all the time. Um, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act specifies that it is a violation of the law for a debt collector to tack on things uh, onto the debt that do not belong there contractually. Uh, so for instance, um, you know, and you see this all the time. I mean, the debt, the, you know, the original debt might be, you know, $50 or something like that. And I've seen that. I've seen, you know, original underlying debts are $50, and suddenly the person is being uh, done for, you know, $2,500. I mean, some astronomically large figure. Crazy. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, that happens. And, you know, and, and the excuse is attorney's fees, and, uh, you know, and there's a penalty provision, and there's a default, you know, there's a default charge, and there's a, uh, you know, a late payment processing charge, and they'll make up all these charges, and, <clears throat> and it's all a bunch of hooey. Um, the answer is is that, well, the answer to what the consumer uh, owes is in the original consumer contract that the consumer signed. Now, the good news, you and I both know, is that consumers don't sign a whole lot of contracts anymore. I mean, a lot of times they, you know, they, they answer a telephone solicitation or they're shopping in the mall one day, you know, and they take, uh, you know, a free uh, box of seized chocolate or something like that, and suddenly they have a credit card, right. and, and, they, and they haven't signed anything. So, I mean, what, uh, and, and, and that is important, and consumers need to know that. By not signing anything, they're not obligating themselves for, you know, interest and penalties and, you know, payment processing fee and attorney's fees and all that type of stuff. They haven't signed a contract to that effect. They haven't. So, so if you're, it gets back to sending the certified letter. I mean, if you are done by a debt collector, and let's say, let's say you believe, okay, I, I, Bob Brennan, shopped at Nordstrom's and I didn't pay, and it went to collections, and I think I owe them about $500 because that's about what I bought at Nordstrom's. Um, okay, all right. I, I get a call from a debt collector, and the debt collector is saying I owe $5,000, and I say that's a bunch of hooey. All right, so, so what I do is I send Nordstrom's and the debt collector the certified letter, and I say, I want to see the contract, uh, which, uh, which I signed, the one I signed, not, not the form contract that you think is like the one I signed. I want to see the one I signed, and I want to see uh, exactly how these additional charges are calculated. I'd like it broken out. And you send that within 30 days of when the debt collector first contacts you. That 30-day that window is important. I mean, this is not something to put off to the side of your desk and ignore for a few months. Uh, the 30-day window is actually what gives you the right under the law to have, to have the details of your debt verified. Now, is that from when they first contacted you by phone, or is it when they contact you by mail? By the from 30 days from the first letter, from the first okay, letter. Okay, okay, okay. Just clarify that. All okay. Right. Very good. So um, what are they allowed to do? What, what are the restrictions on them with regard to that? I mean, do, are there specific restrictions for the debt collectors? You mean in terms of how, what they can charge? Yes. Oh, they can basically charge what's in the contract and no more. I mean, if, if, if a consumer signs a contract and the consumer says, I agree to, you know, if I default on my credit card, I agree to, a, you know, $50 uh, payment processing fee in addition to interest at 28% per annum, you know, blah, blah, or something like that. I mean, in short, uh, the contracts are bad. I mean, a lot of times, if you actually default on a contract and you actually sit down and calculate what the consumer owes, a lot of times the consumer does owe quite a bit more than, than the original debt. That, that does happen, uh, and, and legitimately based upon a contract that the consumer did sign. Uh, however, even in those instances, I mean, the, the debt collectors are, are putting additional charges on top of it that don't belong there. I mean, a, <clears throat> a red flag right away is a debt collector that, that you know, sends you a letter say, you know, or, or breaks it down for you and says you owe attorney's fees. Well, if a debt collector sues you in court, files a lawsuit, then, and there's attorney fee provision in the, uh, in the original agreement, then you may be faced with, with uh, having to pay attorney's fees. That, that is an option. However, if, you know, some schmo debt collector who, you know, uh, does not have a, uh, 
you know, does not have anything even close to a law license, is just bothering you over the phone, that person does not get attorney's fees. I mean, I mean, there's just no way that that person can claim attorney's fees. Right. And what if they're a debt collector and, and they are a law firm? Well, that happens all the time. And, and for what I might call pure collection activities, where they're just uh, basically writing you debt collection letters or calling you on the phone, they are not entitled to attorney's fees. But if it goes into if it goes to the point of uh, of filing a lawsuit and pursuing it, yes, they would be entitled to claim attorney's fees if it's available under the original contract. What about collecting from relatives or people who have uh, relatives of people who have died? Well, I'm sorry, my throat is a little sore. I had okay. to take a little drink. Okay. Um, <clears throat> um, basically. The situation there's two situations where we see where the where the consumer does owe the debt, uh, and I'll tell you what they are. Uh, well, it, it actually two it's two situations boiling down to one. Um, <clears throat> there are situations where a husband and a wife are co-signers or co-obligors on on a uh, on a contract, and then you know they get divorced, and the husband says, you know, I'm going to take care of the debt to Nordstroms. Okay. And then four years later, the, the wife has a negative credit report uh, from Nordstrom's because the debt was not paid and the husband uh, defaulted on it. And, you know, the wife will call me as, as is, you know, I think it's right to find out the legal advice on this type of situation and say, you know, wait a minute, the husband was supposed to pay that in the divorce, therefore I don't know it. Unfortunately, um, from the way that the law shakes out on that, the wife is obligated on that debt because she was the original co-signer. And the way, the only way that she can be taken off that debt is to go back to the court, uh, go back to the court which rendered her divorce, and have their uh, have have it be ordered uh, that the matter be uh, be removed, um, you know, from her credit report and be made an obligation solely in, in in the husband's name and not in not in the wife's name. And you know, there's another thing you can do, and if you're going through a divorce and you're listening to this now, because I do a lot of this with clients. Number one, the best thing to do if you're going through a divorce is try and have the community pay off whatever debt it can before the parties divorce or as part of the dissolution, and then have them get their credit reports and make sure there's nothing that's, um, you know lurking there that they didn't know about. The second thing that they can do is they can actually write into their marital settlement agreement or into the court order who is taking what debts and that the other party agrees to indemnify and hold them harmless from that debt. And that's one thing I do in all of our marital settlement agreements. We try and actually pay off all the debt beforehand, but if there is something sitting there, like let's say somebody gives an interspousal transfer deed to the other party, the, the both parties, both husband and wife, are still on the original mortgage. And if they don't refinance, then that may become an issue. So you have to have an actual stipulation of who is going to take that debt and how are they going to indemnify them and hold them harmless from any action that might be taken against them. So that's just a little family law thing. If you're going through a divorce or you're anticipating a divorce, that credit issue is so important, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the other situation where, where uh, relatives do have to pay for debts is the, the you know, traditional co-signer situation. You know, a kid is, is just out of high school or just out of college and doesn't have enough credit to get his own car, so he gets you know, his aunt to come along and co-sign for the, for the uh, car, and then three years later the kid defaults. And the debt collector goes after the ant. Uh, unfortunately, the ant is on the hook. If you, if you, and and frankly, I tell my I tell my clients, uh, don't co-sign. <laughs> I mean, right, right. Just, just don't. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's nice to help out your family members and all that type of stuff. But you you by signing one of those contracts, you put yourself in the crosshairs, and and you know, just don't do it. Those are the situations where the consumers will have to answer for uh, for the debts of the relatives. However, that that's not all situations. A lot of times, uh, dead relatives, um, other relatives, I mean, they may try to contact a mother or a father to say, oh, um, you know, we want to collect on the debt of Junior because Junior defaulted on his car loan. If mom and dad are not on that loan, mom and dad are not obligated to pay, the, to pay off that loan for Junior unless, unless for their own moral reasons they may want to. But, but they don't have to. Now, and, and if, if, but we do have a different, if somebody is the executor of a will or the trustee of a trust, the actual estate will, ha will have to pay off the debt. Isn't that correct? Well, the estate, yes. But remember that the estate and, and the beneficiaries of the estate are two different things. Right. Uh, you know, one thing, that, one thing that we've seen in our office is that 
you know, let's say a deceased person has, let's say, a $5,000 debt with, you know, you name it, Nordstrom's or whatever. Um, Nordstrom's does have a claim against the estate. There's no question about it. They can make a claim against the estate. But if Mari Frank or if Bob Brennan were, were you know, beneficiaries of the estate or, or, uh, or something along those lines, they do not, by, by, by virtue of that relationship, they do not have a claim against us. Right. So what's the worst thing that can happen if someone doesn't pay their debts? They can't go to jail, right? No, there's no there's no such thing as debtor's prison. There's not. Uh you know, and 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 it's it's you know, it's frequent that that a lot of um you know, a lot of debt collectors call up and particularly when they when they reach naive people and they will say, you know, you could be arrested or you could go to jail uh for not paying the debt and I got to tell you there's a certain group in the culture out there that is worried about that because maybe they have a bit of a, a of a jail history and they don't want another jail history. And so the debt collector goes and, and basically preys upon their fear of going back to jail when they've made up their minds to try to, to try to you know get back on the right road. And, and so then, therefore, they're pressured into paying a debt. There, there is no such thing as, as debtor's prison. Debt collectors are not allowed to masquerade or parade as law enforcement officers when they are not. Um, and and there, there is no such thing as uh, basically being arrested for not paying a debt. Now, what the, well, with one exception, Mari, and again, you, you, know, you, you know a lot about family law, I can tell. Uh, the, the one exception would be uh, child support um, obligations. Child support obligations can, uh, do not get normally referred to debt collectors. They normally get referred to district attorneys. Right. And that is a much more serious issue. Uh, that, that, uh, <clears throat> that is something that is, that is well beyond uh, the province of what I might call this discussion today, which is just about, you know, standard consumer debts. Um, right, right. For, for standard consumer debts, uh, basically, I've got to tell you that the, the three things that they can do ultimately, number one, they can credit report you. Number two, they can um, <clears throat> go to court and get a judgment against you. And if they have gotten a judgment against you, number three is that they can garnish your wages, or if you do have assets in the bank or something like that, they can, they can, uh, they can do what's called a writ of execution, or, or they can do a levy on, for instance, assets you have in the bank or if you have a piece of property. That's what they can do. Right. I mean, that's what they can do, and that 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 really is is the menu right there of what they can do to you for not paying a debt. Right. So you know that they can they can threaten a bunch of other things, but but at the end of the day, those are the things they could do. Now, you know, we've talked a lot on our show about identity theft, and the last time you you were on the show, we talked about identity theft, but we didn't talk about it with regard to debt collection. What about if collection you get collection calls and it's all identity theft? Well, uh, there again, what you need to do, uh, Mari, I know that last time I was on your show, we talked about step one yes. of the identity theft process is right. you have to follow a police report. Right. And you need to get multiple, multiple copies of that police report because, unfortunately, as, as you know better than anyone, I mean, identity theft doesn't go away in an afternoon. Right. And, and, and you need, uh, you, you're going to need copies of that police report into the future. Um, you send, under the California identity theft law, under the, uh, the California um, Credit, uh, Consumer Credit Reporting Agencies Act, under the Rosenthal Act, and also under provisions of the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act. If you send a, an, an identity theft police report or an identity theft report with the Federal Trade Commission to a debt collector uh, basically uh, providing firm and solid documentation that you are a victim of identity theft and the reason that you are being debt collected on this debt is because uh, is because you have been the victim of identity theft. At that point, they are supposed to stop completely any debt collection activities on that debt, and they may only resume debt collection activities against you on that debt if they go out and they basically prove to themselves and ultimately gather proof uh, for you too, uh, conclusive proof that you are the person who actually owes that debt. So, but but I mean that the, the it all starts uh, the most important document. You and have don't an they have to go back to the original creditor and tell the original creditor that it was that they are informed that it was a debt uh, pursuant to identity theft? Yes. And yeah, and you can get it off your credit report. They're supposed to block it within thirty days, but you must do the same thing. Like what Bob was saying is, you have to write to the credit reporting agencies return receipt requested, and to the debt collector, return receipt requested. Yes. Yeah. Under the De Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, how can a consumer sue, and can they sue on a contingency basis? Uh, we, we sign up probably 95 or more percent of our cases on a contingency, so, and, and, and we're not uncommon. Uh, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act has a provision in it which says if you win, 
If the consumer wins, then the defendant, debt collector, uh, creditor, credit bureau, whatever, uh, pays the attorney's fees, pays your attorney's fees. And, and, that, and that also helps even if your damages are small. I mean, obviously, we see a lot of cases where, <clears throat> you know, a person has been through a tremendously difficult time in their lives, but at the end of the day, their actual damages are only, you know, maybe, maybe ten, maybe $25,000, who knows. And, and the, uh, the debt collectors or the creditors will yet drag it out to a point where, you know, the actual attorney's fees in the file are far in excess of ten to $25,000. Uh, uh, the way that the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act works is if, if the consumer wins, then the other side pays the consumer's attorney's fees. So that is tremendously helpful. Uh, it permits consumers to basically come in and, and do this on a, you know, on a contingency or on a, on a semi-contingency basis, um, you know, where maybe they help to pay for some of the costs, but they don't actually have to pay my firm to, to pursue the case in litigation. Right. We don't have a lot of time, but I, I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about when someone, um, when a consumer does get a company to offer to settle and they do think it's somewhat of a fair settlement. In other words, it's not a lot of different fees and they come up with the settlement. Can they also say that we'll settle and we'll give you this money if you write to us and tell us that you'll take it off our credit report? Is that something that can happen? Well, no. I mean, the thing is, is remember that, you know, the obligation of the credit furnishers uh, is uh, to, to basically accurately report all positive and negative credit information. So <laughs> if you, uh, let's say, um, 2000, you know, going back to the 2001 example, let's say in 2001 I defaulted on my, on my Macy's card and I, uh, you know, settled for it in 2005. And, you know, uh, let's say it's a $500 debt and you know, I talk to the debt collector and I say, okay, I've got, you know, $400 for you and will you release it? Uh, you know, will you release it? And, and the debt collector will, will sometimes say, sure, that type of thing. <coughs> By the way, that's another thing. Don't, don't be afraid to negotiate with the debt collectors because remember, the debt collector has paid, you know, scant pennies on the dollar for that debt. So, um, you know, so it's, it's perfectly all right for, from my point of view to negotiate. Obviously, be fair and use good faith and good judgment and all that type of stuff, but, but negotiating is fine. So let's say, um, you know, let's say I, uh, I settle with, uh, with Macy's or with a debt collector for $400 at that point. Uh, and I say, um, can you take it off my credit report? The honest and ethical debt collector or Macy's, um, you know, would say we are not allowed to take it off of your credit report, but what we are allowed to do is we are allowed to show that it's been paid in full. We are allowed to say it's it's you know we are allowed to show that it's that it's been a, a paid or a satisfied debt or something like that, which does help the credit score, right? It's oh yeah, better. certainly. Yes. But it, but it will show that that it did you know go delinquent and go into default as of September October two thousand one, and that will remain on your credit report for seven years and six months. But you now, should get it in writing that they're going to say paid in full. Oh yeah, you you always need a release, and I got to tell you, I mean we have. You know, we, we, a written release, and by written release agreement, I mean uh, basically a, a, an acknowledgement signed by the debt collector or by the, by the uh, creditor saying that they own the debt, that they have, an obliga- they have uh, the, the, the full power to negotiate the debt, and they are, they are negotiating the debt and accepting full satisfaction for $400, and they are fully releasing the, uh, the consumer from the obligation uh, for, you know, for the sum of $400. And the reason that's important is because if it's just, you know, some handshake deal over the phone and, and you know, the consumer gives his credit card, that's another big reason not to just, you know, give your credit card information right over the phone to the debt collector. You know, number one, these debt collectors are not always uh, very reputable people. Who knows what they're going to do with your credit card information? Exactly. You know, but, but beyond that, if there's nothing, you know, fully documenting that you have fully paid off that debt, there may be no record of it at all. Right. Now, you know, you know what, Bob, we have to go. We're at the end. And oh, I bummer. just wanted to have time to at least say your book again. It's oh. Debt Collection Answers, How to Use Debt Collection Laws to Protect Your Rights. It's a great book. And why don't you just give your websites? Uh, two, well, three websites. I'll, I'll give two. Um, one is brennanlaw.com, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, law, L-A-W.com. And the other is SoCal Credit Damage. SoCal is in Southern California, SoCalCreditDamage, all one word, dot com. And we're going to have them get debt collection answers, how to use debt collection laws to protect your rights. You're wonderful, Bob. We'll have to have you on again. And thank you for joining us. Murray, thank you so much for having me. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. And I want to thank everybody for listening to KUCI and especially to Privacy Piracy. This week is our annual 
Fun Drive, and we pledge our commitment to bring you great public affairs shows, just like the one you just heard, Bob, with great information, and terrific music 24-7. So please pledge right now your tax-deductible donation to continue Privacy Piracy and all the great shows. Call right now, 949-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI. You'll even receive a gift back from KUCI. So make your tax-deductible donation right now. Call up. A DJ is waiting to take it for you. It's 949-824-5824 or 949-UCI-KUCI. Please remember when you call right now to mention that you are pledging for privacy piracy. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, podcasts, and Uh, Look at our archived interviews and join us next week, 5 to 6 p.m. Wednesday night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.